right, everybody. Welcome to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. Obviously, that's me. Uh, excited to have uh, have you listening to our podcast today. Thought we'd spare you the uh, having to look at my mug on a video podcast today. So uh, uh, you're just going to get to hear my dulcet tones and those of my uh, those of my guests. And my guests today, uh, we're really excited about having someone. Uh, who is a real thought leader in uh, the cardiovascular arena. Uh, so uh, podcast uh, listeners, say hello to Paula Reisdorfer. Paula, welcome to I Don't Care. Thank you, Kevin. Happy to be here. Thanks. We're so glad to have you. And I mean, you've got a wealth of experience. Tell us just a little bit about what you've done in your career and, and how, you, how you entered the cardiovascular world. Sure, I'm happy to. So I, I do think it's interesting that I got into healthcare when I was a teenager, looking for something to do in the summer. So I decided to be a junior volunteer at a hospital. Um, or they call them candy stripers as well. Right. So right. I absolutely got hooked. I did that every summer. Um, while I was in high school, I spent most of my week at a hospital doing volunteer work, and I was just that is hooked. Tremendous. Yeah, um, and I have been in healthcare ever since. Worked in uh, hospitals is where I started out, both for profit and non for profit, and then my last fifteen years have been spent in outpatient environments, specifically outpatient imaging, and also outpatient surgery. So. Okay. That's where I've been for the last 15 years. The last five years have been focused solely on growing cardiovascular business in outpatient environments. And that's because of two things. There's two main drivers for that. Uh, first of all is the technology advancements. They're absolutely incredible. What can be done now, same day, in a healthcare environment for a patient needing services. And then the second driver is that Medicare or CMS is approving more and more of these procedures in an outpatient environment. So, and it could be outpatient in a hospital. It's just okay. that, you know, the physicians are saying, you know, these patients can be done safely to go home the same day. And okay. that's driving a lot of this migration. Interesting, interesting. Well. You know, I think everybody realizes that heart disease is the leading cause of death in the world. And it's also the number one cause of death for women here in the United States. But people hear the term cardiovascular and sometimes really are not sure what that means. So, so could you clarify that for, uh, for my audience? Sure, I'm happy to. So cardiovascular basically is cardiac being your heart. Um, and you have interventional type of issues, meaning the blood flow in and out of your heart. And you've also got rhythm issues, which is the electrical pulses within your heart. And that's called electrophysiology. And that's, that is uh, pertinent for people who need pacemakers or implantable cardioverter defibrillators. Okay. So you've got both plumbers and you've got electricians. <laughs> Plus you've got You've got the peripheral vascular. So anybody who maybe has compromised blood flow down their legs or they have varicose veins or maybe they're a diabetic and they've got a wound on their foot or their ankle mm -hmm. and it's not healing, maybe the blood flow isn't there. So um, 
it, it really encompasses your whole body. Okay, interesting. You know, what's really kind of scary is I think most people think of uh, heart disease as being an older person's disease, but it seems like there's a lot, a lot of more younger people being diagnosed. Am I correct? You are correct. Um, unfortunately, some of that would could be due to, you know, the sedentary lifestyle. Maybe we're not eating as well as we should. Um, there's nothing my son loves better than to drive through Whataburger. And <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fast food isn't helping anybody, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, but also, we've got more diagnostic tools available now than we ever have. So I think we're also picking up on it earlier. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and of course, you know, what, what's a podcast uh, here at I Don't Care without us talking a little bit about COVID? And, you know, COVID's really impacted uh, cardiac care, hasn't it? It really has because you know, people are afraid to go to the emergency room, some people, and maybe they're delaying their care. And, you know, the good thing is, is that physicians and providers have really accelerated their telehealth capabilities. So you can do these, your physician, you know, visits on an iPhone or just a, a device or your computer. But if you need to go to an emergency room, some people are delaying their care and that is causing problems. Yeah, we're, we're seeing that, and, and I think most, most hospitals and, and most emergency departments are seeing that around the country, and, you know, I always make the, the point of telling my, my friends and people I run into who have concerns about this, and frankly, coming into a hospital is safer than going to, say, a Walmart or, or another grocery store because we're constantly you know, sanitizing our environments. We're all wearing masks. Uh, we're utilizing personal protective equipment. Uh, we're being incredibly intentional about the cleanliness of our, of our environment so that our patients will feel safe. And so, you know, if there's anybody listening who is still you know, delaying any sort of, uh, of healthcare visits or, or delaying care, don't do that because uh, all that's going to do is make your condition that much worse. And you will go from, from treating, you know, a chronic disease to having to deal with an acute episode uh, and which could certainly be an emergent episode. So anyway, that's my little spiel there about uh, uh, take care of yourself even during COVID. So, yeah, that's a great so, point. Great point. So, so cardiology, as you said, is pretty complex. Um, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about, oh, uh, about some of the, the pitfalls and, and some of the, some of the, frankly, the opportunities that there are in, in cardiac care. Um, sure. So, you know, cardiac care has historically been a very hospital-focused, um, hospital-centric um, disease, and so again, with the technology advancements, so much of this can be done the same day. So you could go into the outpatient department of a hospital or an ambulatory surgery center and have a procedure done and go home within you know, a few hours afterwards mm -hmm. very safely. It's all about careful patient selection, making sure that patient is healthy enough where your care plan, it meets your care plan of going home, coming in and going home the same day. So it's really interesting. And I will say that especially with COVID, and I think it has accelerated it, that 
Hospitals who don't have an outpatient strategy for cardiovascular care, and that care can be provided by cardiologists. It's those interventional cardiologists, those electrophysiologists, um, vascular surgeons, general surgeons do some of this work. Interventional radiologists are doing more and more of this work, especially the, the peripheral vascular work, the leg veins, mm -hmm. or even some interventional nephrologists with the dialysis access and dialysis maintenance care. And that is not elective. You know, right. that is not elective care at all. And these people are sick. So the hospitals really need to have an outpatient strategy so they can continue to grow and um, continue to provide sites of service for good patient care. If something like a pandemic rolls around and people don't wanna to go to a hospital, there has to be, you know, maybe alternate sites. Sure. And, you know, and, and Paul, obviously, you, know, you and I are here in the great state of Texas. Why, why else would we be anywhere else? But, and, but you know, you're talking about hospitals and, and ambulatory surgery centers uh, trying to, to create the opportunities to, uh, to provide more outpatient care. But in many states, they have what's called a certificate of need process. Can you go into that a little bit and talk about some of the you know, some of the barriers that that can provide? Sure. Um, and this, this is significant. So, you know, any, any healthcare provider in whatever state you're in, you know, you have to become very, very familiar with the kind of the, the limitations and, and what is allowed in your specific state. Because even though Medicare or CMS Mm -hmm. will allow a lot of these procedures to be done in an ASC for a Medicare patient, the state regulations can easily supersede Medicare. So even though Medicare says, sure, we can put this implantable defibrillator into this patient in an ASC, there's going to be a State Department of Health saying, no, you can't, not here in yeah. this state. And, and for example, with a coronary interventions, there's at least nine states that prohibit that in ASCs. So you have to become very, very familiar with what your rules are for your state and a certificate of need, not all states have them, mm -hmm. but that's where you, the, the healthcare provider has to prove that there is actually a demand for this service that is going unmet. So you have to pr prove by getting a certificate of need that you, know, you introducing this service is gonna be good for the community. Right. And I'll tell you, I spent, I've spent time in some states that do require certificates of need, and particularly in Kentucky. And uh, I was looking at opening a home health agency that was going to be a part of my rehabilitation hospital. And it is an incredibly exhaustive and arduous process to, get, to go through that. It really is. There's uh, quite a few states that have them. Uh, Texas, the great state of Texas, as you say, is not one of those. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very happy about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, again, there's pros and cons to that, too. You know, the pros, obviously, you know, it brings in more competition. Uh, you know, uh, rise, rising seas raise all boats, typically. But also, uh, you know, oftentimes there's wasted capital dollars, there's wasted resources, and, and it can really, you know, if, if you start looking at, at trying to open additional sites of care in a, in a, in a smaller communities, it can really cause a lot of division within the medical community. And frankly, 
you may just, you may think you have the demand, but you just don't. So, you know, again, pros and cons for everything, but, but let's talk a little bit further about, about some of the other, uh, some of the other issues, particularly around like, uh, you know, the, the cardiologists and their, in their in employment, or if they are their employment agreements and, and some of those things. And of course our, you know, we, we can't go anything, anywhere without talking about how, uh, you know, Medicare or commercial insurance impacts things. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, so more and more cardiologists, as well as some of the other specialties and certainly primary care are being employed by hospitals and health systems. Mm-hmm. And that's to create stickiness and some loyalty uh, because healthcare is so competitive. It really is a very competitive environment. And that's the hospitals are trying to make sure for cardiology that they've got, they've got physicians covering emergency, covering call. You know, they want to make sure that they have that, that cardiology physician uh, available to service their patients. And so more and more cardiologists are becoming employed. So, you know, that does affect the competition issue. I mean, some of the hospitals, and again, this is why it's so important that the hospital does have an outpatient strategy, is because not all patients need to be in the hospital. Your younger, mm-hmm. relatively healthier patient could certainly go home the same day. So that hospital likely has a side of service that really fits the, um, the acuity of that patient. Mm-hmm. And that way they can really scale the patient to the side of service. And then in the hospital where you do have those really sick patients um, and those really high acuity procedures, um, those that they have to be done in the hospital and that creates more capacity for that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, so, so what about some of the tailwinds that, that you've seen, uh, around, uh, around cardiology? Well, I can tell you that, um, with the advancements in the technology, for example, um, radial access, meaning going mm-hmm. in for a heart cath through your arm versus yeah. your groin, you know, that way you can really, it, it's easier to control any potential bleeding and that patient can probably go home sooner. So technology advancements are truly a tailwind for this. And in an outpatient environment, it's a lower cost provider. It's not as expensive as the inpatient environment. So the payers, meaning Medicare, meaning your commercial payers, the BUCAs like Blue Cross, Aetna, Mm -hmm. Cigna, United, they love that that patient is able to get high quality care with excellent outcomes in a lower cost environment. So yeah, that's a a big important point there. Yeah. And and you're exactly right. And, and certainly you're seeing the, the decline of, of the open heart surgery, um, you know, through things like the structural heart program uh, elements like, uh, you know, a TAVR or uh, a, transmitral valve replacement, you know, and, and you bring on, you bring up the, the fact, you know, of radial access too. Uh, you know, you, we kind of progress from the open heart surgery, you know, cut somebody open, split the ribs open, 
to going in through the groin, which, you know, is a little bit better. But now having that opportunity to, to go through the wrist, uh, certainly, you know, it, it certainly not only in, improves the patient experience, uh, but it also, you know, helps the physician to be that much more efficient as well. So absolutely, you're seeing, you're seeing great gains in quality uh, of, of cardiac care. So, so you know, in, in the cardiology space, there's lots of stakeholders, right? There's a lot of people who are invested in cardiology. So let's talk about some of them. Sure, you've got those cardiologists that I mentioned, the, mm -hmm. uh, the electrophysiologists, the interventional, the vascular surgeons. You've got the payers that I mentioned. I mean, they're, they're trying to control cost just like any other business out there. So they're wanting to make sure though, because the, the, their covered lives, their patient population is getting that high quality care that they need. Um, hospitals, they've got to have an outpatient strategy of some type. And again, this is market specific. There, we do have some very large health systems now in the U.S. that cover a huge portion of the country, but there's also, as you know, smaller regional providers right. that need to be in this, this space as well. Just because they're smaller doesn't mean that they shouldn't be in this space. No, you're and then, exactly right. Yeah, and then you've got the hospital leadership and the ASC leadership trying to find out market by market where their place is in that spectrum of providing care. Mm -hmm. And it's important, it touches all of these, it touches all of these um, opportunities. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right because, yeah, cardiology is, is, a, is a major financial driver for any healthcare organization. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, typically that's going to be uh, not only your highest gross revenue, but your higher net revenue as well. And so, you know, uh, it, it, it uh, it behooves you to have a very solid, very uh, effective and efficient cardiac program in order to be able to provide other services in your community that may not be, uh, you know, they, they may not be profitable or as profitable, but nonetheless, they are part of being a good, solid community partner. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, the thing with a, a patient and unfortunately, most of these are of Medicare age. So it, it, you know, as we all get older, this comes, this becomes more relevant and becomes closer uh, issue. But yeah. these, the folks who have cardiovascular maybe disease, they have common comorbidities. Mm -hmm. So there's coronary artery disease, there's vascular disease, you know, I think about a third of diabetics have heart disease. So, or maybe it's, third of the people with heart disease or diabetics right. that might have that switched. But I mean, there's a lot of common comorbidities. So you have to take care of the whole patient yeah. and, and be able to provide services to the entire patient, um, a very customized care. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, and, you know, oftentimes um, that can be, that can pose an issue uh, for for the communities that may be a little bit smaller, they don't have the breadth of providers in, in some of the subspecialties that you know, that are indicated uh, for patients with cardiac disease. So, so you know, in our last few minutes, let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, the technology advancements that you've seen that are going to be coming over the next few years. 
you mentioned a couple, but obviously radial access has been a real, real positive for all of us. But what are some of the other things that you see? Sure, and these are exciting. These are so exciting to me. And uh, leadless cardiac devices are already out and they're already um, in the markets. So if you think about a pacemaker, typically the standard pacemaker would have a wire from that device, which is typically implanted under the skin in your chest. Mm -hmm. And it would, the wire, and you could have one wire, two wires, three wires, would go thread through your vessel to your heart. Now they're doing them without the leads. So basically, and this is percutaneous, you don't have to have, they don't have to, it's not a surgery. They don't have to do an incision on your chest. They go mm -hmm. in through the groin and they, the leadless pacemaker actually is about the size of a AAA battery. It's crazy. Oh. And it's got a little grappling hook on one end and they thread it through your groin into your heart and dump it into your heart and position it in there in the place where it needs to be to be most effective. And then the tissue, the little hooks, uh, implant it to where it needs to be and then the tissue can grow around that. That's incredible. It is amazing huh. and the, the life of these can be up to 20 years. 20 wow. years. That, that's um, fascinating. Yeah, and more and more of these devices are um, Bluetooth enabled. So, you know, if you have a, an event recorder implanted into you, um, uh -huh. This, all the signals are sent wirelessly with Bluetooth. And so your physician, if you're asleep and you have an arrhythmia and you're an unaware, your physician office will probably know it the next morning and call you. And that's, you may not even fast. know it. Yeah. The only thing that scares me about that, Paula, is, you know, so, some of the people who may, who may not care for me as much, if they found out that I had a pacemaker, they might try to hack it. So that's a little scary. <laughs> There's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion around that. Yeah, <laughs> I, won't, okay, I yeah. won't even go there, but yeah, I mean that there's been a lot of discussion and research around that. And then some of the other ones are now um, wearable devices that people have their Apple watches. They may have yeah. apps. They could have apps, um, you know, measuring their heartbeats and their arrhythmias. And there's more and more apps being developed. And what these do, they gather data. They don't only help you as the wearer of this device, but they help the cardiovascular community gather data mm -hmm. and be able to treat you with more information. And so it's really amazing what is being That's done right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not an Apple aficionado. I'm still stuck in the Android era, which I enjoy, even though my wife and daughters laugh at me all the time. But, but I've seen, uh, uh, isn't, uh, uh, it's an Apple compatible device. It, it's an EKG, right? Yeah. That somebody get, you know, put their <clears throat> put two fingers on that and they're, they're uh, transmitting their EKG to their physician. That's incredible. Right. And then, you know, with all of our imaging modalities that we have, CT, you know, yeah. uh, PET scans, all of this, it, x-rays, planal x-rays, it's all digitized now. So these digital images um, can be sent to your physician's device. It's all encrypted. It's all very safe. And then the physician has much quicker access to your specific images. So there's a lot of 
of really when I talk about technology advancements, it's just been crazy for the last 10 years and it's going to continue to accelerate um, as, as we go on. So it's a really exciting space. Okay. So, so, you know, we all, you know, all of us geeks really like to talk about technology, but you know, are there some, are, are there any new pharmacological interventions that are, that are coming along? You know, there are, and I, you know, I'm not an expert at those, so I don't really want to get too deep into that, but there are pharmacological um, innovations going on right now that are going to have a huge impact on heart failure and other things like that, rhythms, yeah. um, abnormal rhythms. So there are a lot of advancements. There's a huge focus on cardiovascular advancements right now. Well, that's very cool. Well, Paula, uh, number one, thanks so much for joining me on I Don't Care today. Any final words for the audience? I would just say stay healthy, get moving, stay healthy, eat well. And um, if, hopefully not, but if you need to go see a cardiologist, there's a lot of tools in their toolbox for you as the patient um, that can help you live a very happy, healthy life. Uh, boy, that's great advice. So Paula, you know, I, I know that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about some new opportunities, anything, uh, anything that would be like your ideal opportunity? Well, ideally it would be in this cardiovascular space, but it would absolutely hundred percent be healthcare because I, I'm sure. so excited by it. I have a passion for it and you can probably hear that in my voice, but yes, I am absolutely looking for the great opportunity that's fantastic well, well if any of my listeners are are interested uh in talking to you uh they certainly can connect you with you on linkedin we're connected and so uh uh hopefully we can uh, we can generate some uh some activity for you in that regard but but again paula reisdorfer thanks so much for being on i don't care today um and listeners, of course, you know that we are found on marketscale.com uh, radio every Friday morning at 9.30 Central Time. And then the episode drops pretty soon thereafter on either Spotify or iTunes. So if you haven't subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson yet, what's your problem? So with that, I'd just like to bid you a good day and we'll be talking next week.